Hey everyone, it's me, Ben, and uh, I'm so excited to bring you this interview with uh, some of my comedy heroes, uh, Jonathan Katz and Tom Snyder, who created with him the uh, Dr. Katz Professional Therapist Show. If you are young and have not seen Dr. Katz, check it out. The whole series, I believe, is on Netflix, um, and it's just really fun. It has a lot of comics you know and love uh, and will recognize. Uh, their new endeavor, Explosion Bus, uh, I think it's the, the new season starts up next week. Uh, and you can go to youtube.com slash explosion bus to check it out. Uh, I was told to give you that address because the website uh, is being revamped and it may not be up in time. But you can also go to explosionbus.com and see if it works there. And there's a lot of stuff to check out if you just kind of go to the site and poke around, uh, provided it's back up. Uh, but youtube.com explosion bus and check out episodes of their new series, which is really fun and funny and uh, totally charming. Um, I have to thank uh, Tom Wickersham, who hunted me down while I was in Massachusetts uh, this summer and said, hey, I listened to the podcast. Do you want to interview Jonathan Katz? Uh, and I, I'm so thankful because it was a really fun conversation that we had at uh, Katz's house, which is also where the studio is, um, and he lives very close to my parents, so that was <laughs> very convenient as well. Um, you will hear all kinds of weird things happening in this. Uh, Jonathan is a uh, funny guy and does not give a lot of straight answers, although the ones he gives are really valuable. And Tom is a terrific storyteller and uh, tells us a lot of great information uh, about writing and working in the business and in animation and for Comedy Central as well. Um, but there, were a cr- there was a crowd of people there, uh, some of Jonathan's former students, um, who you'll hear at the end uh, ask some questions. There was a dog running around, which you'll hear panting. Uh, that was not any of us. Uh, and also the phone rang a number of times, and Jonathan decided it would be funny to take those phone calls and uh, sort of interview the callers on the air. So I left a little of that in. I cut some of it out, but it'll give you a, a real good idea of who Jonathan Katz is as a guy. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, I really had fun recording it. Uh, so thanks to everyone over at the Snyder Katz Compound for, for helping me out. Um, as ever, if you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes. Please like it on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash panel. And face on Facebook or on Twitter where you can follow me at Ben Blacker. Um, let me know what you think. Give me some feedback and let me know who you would like to hear from on these podcasts. Um, also, check out facebook.com slash ATX television festival. Uh, I hope that's right. I better check. I'll check while I'm talking to you. Uh, it's facebook.com slash ATX festival, which is a TV festival. Uh, I've talked about it on here before. It's happening again next June. We are going to do a variety show at Largo as a sort of uh, excitement builder and fundraiser at the end of October. So look for information on that, both on ATX Festival's uh, Facebook page, on mine, on Twitter, on all of your social media. Um, Thanks for listening, and here's that Nerdist thing. Now entering Nerdist.com. 
It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Writers talking writing can get pretty exciting. The talk can be lightning. It's very, very frightening. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Yeah. All right. Thank you, guys. Uh, thanks for having me here to this very professional-looking office. Uh, and that's not, that's not a slight. I really mean that. Yeah. Uh, I'm, like, is this where everything happens? Do you do all the recording from, from here? Yeah, we do. This, I should explain, we are in John's home right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I wasn't allowed to see the upstairs. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. I wouldn't know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this is, this is John's lair down here. Here in the basement, yeah. and we've taken over enough rooms down here with cabling and microphones so that we can have seven um, actors. All the yeah, we can have seven actors. No kidding. All yeah. isolated wow. with phones on, uh, so that we can do our very unusual way of doing scripts and outlines and. That well, sort let's of thing. let's talk about that. Uh, I was saying as I came in that I just watched Explosion Bus. Uh, these guys sent me links and things, and it's such a great show. It's really fun, and it captures you know what you guys do clearly i mean it it has that dr cat's tone that we i think we expect from uh snyder and cats oh by the way i'm i'm here with jonathan cats and tom snyder and i'm thrilled to be here thank you um <laughs> oh and a small audience yeah <laughs> which, which is keep, bizarre i try to keep a crowd in the basement oh i appreciate it yeah um but tell me a little bit i mean let's let's jump right in on explosion bus and where this came from and how you guys started doing this. I mean, we'll we'll get into how you guys started working together, but uh, this project specifically, where how did it start up? Well, can I can I back up a little bit, please? I I've been lucky enough to work with two great writers in my life, and one is David Mamet, and the other is Tom Snyder. Ah, thank you. I don't think I've ever heard you say that. <laughs> yeah. David's first, though. Um, well, it's alphabetical. Yeah. Well, he's good. He is very good. Um, I assume you'll ask for that to be excised. Yeah. But Which? Um, the the compliment. Oh. <laughs> no, no, it's 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 actually you know I thought about it uh, as recently as last night that they both are extraordinary writers who approach writing in a totally different way. Hmm. How so? Well, David works on a manual typewriter, and. Uh, is enormously prolific and successful as a writer and but he writes you know if you if if you and I were in a David Mamet play or a David Mamet movie right now and you said um, Jonathan that's a very interesting way you have of uh, moving your hand you know, all the punctu- all the pauses would be written in there. All the punctuation would be written in there. And but no stage direction at all. Mm-hmm. Right. He, you know, he says if you have added stage direction to a line of dialogue, you have failed because the line itself isn't conveying it, which is incredible to me. So you couldn't say sarcastically, right? He just doesn't wow. allow that. Yeah. Right. So that's the difference. I will say sarcastically. <laughs> that's the only difference. That's the only difference. <laughs> uh, no, what is the difference? I, I'm curious well, about uh, and what is the Snyder style? Well, the Snyder style is more working backwards. Like, How so? Like, uh, well, it certainly was the case on Dr. Katz where 
Um, and I trademarked this name, Retroscript. <laughs> oh, no, you're time you trademarked that. Um, so close. Yeah. So we, we, would, we would... You retro-trademarked it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> unlike traditional animation, on Dr. Katz, we would sign off on the audio before hmm. we would, anything was drawn. And very often the, the audio was both scripted and unscripted. And then the two of those things would sort of fight it out in the editing process. And it was the unscripted stuff that almost invariably won. Really? Because the editors, trained by Tom, were were more performance-oriented than mm-hmm. joke-oriented. My, and that has to do with... <laughs> I was following. No. I, I don't even know where to get into. I mean, I'm, I'm so fascinated by the process, and it seems like... Explosion Bus sort of uses the same process that Dr. Katz did of yes. this semi-scripted or post-scripted, whatever you want to call it. Well, we called it retro-scripting, mm-hmm. and it started with an outline. Mm-hmm. Um, and what do those outlines look like? How well, the, thorough are they? Well, it's funny. Uh, we tried to do our first um, episode when we were meeting ben, John Benjamin for the first time and mm-hmm. Laura, and, and everyone was over. And we had a vague notion about what it was going to be, and we thought it would be really fun to sort of freelance. Everybody's freelancing and spitballing mm-hmm. ideas, and, and uh, that turned out to not be our first episode. We had them come over again and started what we called the document because we didn't know what to call it, and henceforth, I guess it's called the document. But it it starts just as an outline, uh, much as you might do outli- uh, outlining a book or a screenplay, mm-hmm. and then. You're slowly filling it in, but you write dialogue at that point in the third person without quotes. Hmm. So Jonathan indicates that he doesn't think that's such a good idea. Interesting. You don't say, Jonathan says, comma, quote, because that frees John up to say he doesn't think it's such a good idea. Then, um, and this is the history of Dr. Katz, Mm -hmm. and and then... uh, with time, we went, moved on to home movies and um, other things. We realized that for tight half hours, um, you needed a script that everyone had said at least the line they're supposed to say. Because mm-hmm. you have so much narrative depending on previous, you know, if someone says, she's going to be here in a second, uh, and if they've never said that, you try to, you know, the re-engineering of your script after all your actors have gone back to New York or wherever they are is, is really tough. So uh, we start with that outline, work all the way up to a real script, and then everybody, um, and I write that script. Mm-hmm. I uh, Beforehand, uh, from day one, John and I would go out to a bar and I would read him the script at that point, and he would do what I would call instant punch-up, mm-hmm. as opposed to we're writer's still, we're room. We're still working with the outline at this point. No. On Dr. Katz? Yeah, on Dr. Katz. There was an outline. At, oh, you're right, you're right. Yeah. And we had that third-person scripting uh, mm-hmm. style. Yeah. And that third-person, let me just uh, understand this clearly, that third-person scripting was basically born of what we would think of in, in like a TV writer's room as room notes. Yes. Like, these were ideas yeah. that were thrown around by right. the group, and Someone would right, but basically the, but transcribe. But the room was just me and Tom. Oh, okay, so was it wasn't with all of the actors. Right. Okay. Yes. Right. Um, Although uh, John Benjamin, in particular, and, and Laura, to a certain extent, came with their own notions. Mm-hmm. Uh, having 
Well, having once having once gotten an idea of what the episode was about, and that was um, the suggestion made by we played a very early version of Dr. Katz for Larry Miller, the comedian, mm-hmm. and he said, "Geez, it would be so much better if it was about something." <laughs> you know, which seems like such a, a how cruel, dare he? A cruel thing. <laughs> yeah. No. How dare? Not just people standing around talking. Yeah, I smacked him so hard. But, <laughs> but it's funny. I mean, yeah. you you look at the things that are on Comedy Central now today, yeah. or on uh, the Adult Swim shows, and the Doctor Cat's influence is so strong, and they don't seem to be about something. I mean, I feel like that was what that show did so well. Is Though it didn't seem to be about anything, the relationship among the characters was fluid, and you know there was story that you could mine, sort of like a traditional sitcom. We well, uh, the the part that interested us enormously, of course, was the relationship between John, his son, and his secretary, sure. and the things they had in common. Those two other characters is that they didn't respect John, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but they did it in such completely different ways. And uh, Ben never had a plan, um, and Laura didn't give a shit about <laughs> you know plans in general. And so they had they were fairly simple characters for them to pick up on. Mm-hmm. And if you came in starting day one, when I didn't know John at all, uh, John Benjamin, but Jonathan Katz had worked with him mm-hmm. previously. Um, if we said, if I did a third person thing, as I did once, I said. Um, said, Laura, say to John, I, I, I think I explained this on liner notes or something once, but, you know, say to Laura, say, hi, Ben. And Ben, say back, hi, like you're really infatuated with her. And so I said, yeah, give that a shot. So Laura goes, does her sigh. <laughs> hi, Ben. And Ben goes, what's that supposed to mean? I'm fat? <laughs> and so immediately we realized that um, they, um, fortunately we weren't doing improv mm-hmm. because improv basically kind of sucks. <laughs> you know, sketch. You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we, John and I used to go out to improv clubs right. uh, in Boston and we'd walk out every night thinking, God, we hate this stuff. You know, uh, well, we, what, what improv needs is an editor, right? Yes. <laughs> you need some kind of guiding right. hand, which you guys were able to do. Yeah, but uh, Benjamin didn't follow the never negate rule. That mm-hmm. is the first thing you're taught at Second City and places right. like that. Is, you know, keep the thing going, keep the thing going. But <laughs> he would throw such a, a, a sharp curve yeah. Yeah. that uh, it would de- everyone was on their toes and... Did, did you? So you knew uh, John I knew, Benjamin I knew before. John through, he was part of a troupe with David Cross called Cross Comedy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, having once been accused by s- some network guy of being, you know, I was introduced to him. He said, "Oh yeah, you're that guy who uses John Benjamin in everything," <laughs> and uh, and it was true. And uh, sure, why wouldn't you? <laughs> yes, he is just extraordinary. But uh, right. we're not using him in this uh, until he gets so fucking jealous, you know, that, <laughs> that he right. calls us, John. Just come to us begging, <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll we'll pick you up. Um, I'm sorry, so I interrupted. Oh but, no, no, but you knew I, him I from. Tra- but I was trying to think of, of a line that Laura said in the in an early episode that sort of defined her character beautifully. Because I said to her as Dr. Kiss, I said, Laura, you know what would be great is if people who come here to see me already don't feel 
good about themselves. <laughs> it would be great if, if there was something we could do to make them feel a little, just to feel a little bit better. And she said, who's we? <laughs> <laughs> I love that line. Where, where did you find Laura? John's Laura. girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, John and Jim and Laura were dating. Oh, we were living together. We were in love with each other. And all the tension of the dissolution of their <laughs> yeah. relationship is reflected. It all went south during the show. Yeah. And it worked. So Laura, Laura sometimes was truly pissed off at that edge of an Well, and it was in character, so it worked. Yeah. Right. Um, so tell me about that show. Did you guys get thrown together? Did you know each other beforehand? I had, I had um, known who John was from a movie I'd seen, Things Change, with Don Amici, mm-hmm. and where John played a stand-up comedian. And I bought the, the, the movie and watched the scene over and over and over again when he's in, uh, that he's in. And then a friend of mine told, uh, from L.A. told me he lived in Newton. And uh, so I came over to his house with the uh, Dr. Katz before it was called that. It was called Shrink Wrapped with me doing all the voices. <laughs> and did you come up with, with Amy and Anne? And, no, and, no, it was, it was just me And uh, when we were first meeting. All right. Then we had dinner with the whole family, and he opens the door a crack. Then my family didn't know John yet, and he said, "I'm assuming all of you have had spinal meningitis." <laughs> <laughs> I like to fool around. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and they came in anyway. And you get to you get to edit this, right? Of course, <laughs> because uh, I also loved a line recently when. <laughs> And I came over to dinner, and John and Susie had just cooked for us. And John said to Anne, and now I'm assuming you love pussy. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what, what was the dish? <laughs> I cannot remember. But, uh, so I went over to his house and played him, me playing the, a doctor and me playing his son. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was clear that we needed... Uh, well, I, in L.A., they said... Uh, to me when I played for Comedy Central said yes we want to pick it up mm-hmm. and they said but what you need is talent <laughs> <laughs> they said this to you specifically <laughs> yes but they took it the way I took it the way I think you're taking it exactly that I had no what talent you need is talent <laughs> yes. but they meant I need this quantity mm-hmm. of um, a commod- an LA commodity LA called talent called talent mm-hmm. which is people and uh, so I said and this fellow Tim Brain um, who connected us um and uh and after that it was just i don't think we've spent an hour apart <laughs> no nope. i'm, I'm so sorry really that. <laughs> yep. hey um, who wrote the theme song for the writers uh that was dan Byrne. that's a great theme song isn't that a great theme song yeah. it reminded me a little bit of groucho the theme mm-hmm. song you know yeah oh absolutely um, so where were you when you were approached about doing this show and about uh, teaming with Tom on this show? Well, I, you know, I was working as a stand-up. I worked as a stand-up for, since from 1981 till I'm, I met Tom. And then... He was in Newton. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. We moved here in 85 from New York City. But you had kind of, you had broken through as a stand-up by then, right? right? You had done Letterman and right. things like that, and right. obviously had appeared in, in film uh, and TV. And were you looking to do some sort of show? No, uh, I mean, I, I had no real interest in animation, and I never thought of myself as, a, as an actor. Mm-hmm. 
And then, uh, by working with Tom, I, I discovered both of those things. That's probably important. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Albion. <laughs> Go ahead, please. Hello. Speaking. Go ahead, please. Okay. Um, this thing, if, if that's it, my wife, tell her I'm almost yeah. done. <laughs> she out in the car? No. <laughs> we thought about it. We thought about it. She and the dog were going to run around out back for a while. Um, but, but the show is clearly, I mean, so much your point of view, both of you together, uh, that, you know, obviously it was kismet that you guys would come together and have this shared uh, tone and point of view. Um, but what do you think, Jonathan, that you brought to this show besides literally your voice? Well, if you're talking about, we're talking about now about the explosion bus? Sure. Well, no. Because uh, on, we'll Dr. on Dr. Katz, Katz first. Yeah. Well, Dr. Katz was, I think, many people in Newton still think I'm a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> and if you go outside on the streets of Newton, Newton's full of therapists. If you go outside and, and yell help. <laughs> they won't some, dial 911. Some, no, somebody will say, you have issues? <laughs> I mean, it does have the highest per capita uh, population of therapists of any, any city in America. It's also the safest city in America. Ow! So, um, <laughs> how, are you, how are you doing at getting straight answers from John thus far? I think we're nailing it. <laughs> no, no, wait, 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 I'm sorry. That's why, that's why you're here. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait till it switches. <laughs> <laughs> now, so what I brought to Dr. Katz was... The... Well, I mean, tell me about... Let me be more specific, but when you two sat down to create the stories, once you realized you had to have talent, yes. uh, and that these stories actually had to have some story... Uh, was this, you know, was well, this a difficult thing for you? Was it new? What was, was your background print, as a writer? As a writer, I had written, um, at that point, a movie. Mm-hmm. I had written the story on which the movie House of Games is based. Right. And I had written a pilot called Smashville, mm-hmm. which was... <laughs> <laughs> wow. Which was about... The a, reviews are in. <laughs> <laughs> which I wrote with David Mamet, which we sold... Uh, to I think to CBS, Dick Clark packaged it. Mm-hmm. What was it about? It was about a recording studio, and um, it was so uh, strange. Smash. Did you say smash? smash <laughs> is that the same? We might have a lawsuit. All right. Yeah, that, isn't that the name of the Smashville. musical? Oh, Smashville. But anyway, so that 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 um, was mostly David was living in Vermont. Mm-hmm. I was living in New York, and for him, the most fun part was he was hiding from people in the networks because they wanted to be able to talk to him. And he said, "Well, I walk by this payphone every day around <laughs> three in the afternoon." So he liked to make himself unavailable. And one of the luxuries that Tom and I had in Doctor Katz was being not getting notes. Mm-hmm. It was an amazing. But there's a yeah. I wondered about that. That's really specific, though, because uh, at the time. My company was not an animation company. I had an educational software company oh, yeah. in Cambridge. And we had about 120 people working. And there was a young woman artist uh, who I had um, hired, actually from a... She was a bartender of mine. and uh, <laughs> But she used to doodle all the time. And we hired a lot of people actually from that bar and other bars. And uh, she and I 
started, uh, I would do audio, funny audio, and she would animate it. <laughs> and uh, we put this little doctor thing together, and then we uh, brought John in. I went to my, I was, the, I'd started my company and was the CEO, but you know, they had a lot of other responsibilities. And I said, I'd kind of like to be able to try this experiment on the side. Oh, interesting. And, um, and what did you see going with it? Did you see bringing it to Hollywood, shopping this thing? I didn't know how to shop. Yeah. Uh, this is where Tim Brain, who was my childhood friend who happened to work for HBO at the time, okay. uh, he set up some meetings with, uh, for me with Comedy Central and, hmm. Else. And what was, do you recall what Comedy Central was doing at the time? It was, it had just changed from Ha, sure. was that, is that correct? It was Convergence, Convergence of Ha TV and the Comedy Station, I don't Something know. Something like that, Comedy yeah. Channel, yeah. Comedy Channel, right. And um, they were producing a show called Short Attention Span Theater, which became The Daily Show. Right, sure. Um, but the beautiful thing was, we showed them what the animation was going to look like. Mm -hmm. We um, said, we're going to create the first episode, 20, you know, it's 22 minutes. And cable doesn't have to be exactly the way it does for a network, but it was approximately 22 minutes. And they called back uh, all the senior folks who had seen it and said, it's fantastic. When do we see the real thing? <laughs> And I'm not kidding. They actually thought we had sent them an animatic sure, or some demo, a, a right, demo. Yeah. And I said, well, that, uh, that's it. And, and then uh, some people came up uh, from New York and L.A., my friend Flo from L.A., and said, it could be so much better. And I said... Hmm. I don't fucking care, <laughs> honestly. Well, let's we're talk just, about that yeah, for a yeah. second, because it's, it's so interesting, and obviously, I mean, it gave a voice to the show visually. Yes. Um, wh where did this come from, this squiggle vision? I had, um, I was a programmer, mm -hmm. and I had a woman who could, uh, was an illustrator, and she, her favorite thing to do, Annette Kate, who is the head artist for uh, Dr. Cass, loved to draw cute things like bunnies. Seriously, mm -hmm. bunnies, she had a bunny. <laughs> And she brought it to work every day, and everything she drew was cute. And when John came over and she drew that version of John that we all know from Dr. Katz, <clears throat> and I said, wow, that is cute. <laughs> and, uh, but it was not animated at all. So I wrote a very simple macro, which is a sort of a subroutine, um, higher level subroutine, that she could draw it, and it would redraw it with errors five times oh, really quickly to give it mm -hmm. and as it redrew it the background appeared and disappeared behind it so you got the sense of depth and that is the sum and story <laughs> of squiggle vision and mouths were just open mouths that were squiggling mm -hmm. or closed mouths that were not <laughs> and that's that's it that's the whole gambit but they also meant that they felt the recording wasn't good enough hmm. that the jokes weren't good enough that really? the, the story wasn't good enough they said they thought it was just a proof of concept, basically, and we really were in a position where my company was all on borrowed money and time. It was highly experimental, and I didn't feel like I was, you know, John had you know a... What, you know what changed their perception? What was that? It was this guy, Michael Fuchs, who used to run HBO. He loved it, and they all decided to love it, too. Yeah. Really? Yeah. It took someone Some, in, the in the right, right position right. that but they it, respected. It didn't hurt that within the first year it got awards and right. because we said no we're not going to make any changes mm -hmm. ever and so they just never sent us notes 
And th that's really a hard, you know, I was on a panel with Seth MacFarlane and he, and um, Matt Groening. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everyone goes, oh, Christ, notes. You know, I can't believe these notes on the littlest thing. And the truth is, every one of the notes is correct. They just don't matter. Sure. They don't matter because if you changed it and said you used to do that other thing, no one would say, "Well, I wouldn't have watched that." <laughs> yeah. So uh, we were very lucky that way that we could work it at our own pace because we were doing one episode every two weeks. Really? Yeah. How did you get this kind of schedule? How did you even turn out shows on this kind of schedule? Well, it. Uh, it well, I guess for animation, that's pretty good. Well, the first episode took six months. Six sure. Months. To sure. get uh, to get all the all the systems correct, right. and then we had hired enough staff, and we had people on double and sometimes triple shifts. Mm -hmm. and, and when we, you say enough staff, how many people are we talking about? Oh, like at least three of us. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> you know, was, I would say, you know, in total with uh, assistants and assistants, mm -hmm. uh, maybe seven people. Mm -hmm. And this is still working. From your home in Cambridge? The whole thing was done on the first floor of my home in wow. Cambridge. And the recording booth was the uh, the pantry of the old kitchen that had been in there. Oh, my God. And uh, uh, several, you know, um, who, uh, Kevin S Sweeney, right? Uh, Steve Meany? Sweeney. Who, no, no. It was, it was the, Stephen Wright. Kevin, Kevin Meany, oh. thank you. Oh, Are you thinking right. about Stephen Kevin, Wright, who's, who made the line about pantries? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Stephen Wright, when he came out of the pantry, went, pretty soon everyone in L.A. is going to be recording in pantries. <laughs> <laughs> Which got pretty accurately what L.A. is all about. Exactly. But, um, but uh, it was uh, Kevin Meany, right? Yeah. He uh, was... He was very nervous about going in such a small space because oh my God. he had you had to be in there with another person, and it was a, a room about as big as you and right. I right now. Um, <laughs> so those were That's excellent nuts. days. Then we built a studio, and uh, got more production staff to help with because we had to line up a lot of comedians mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of recording yeah, sessions. The first season was six episodes, and then. 12? Yeah, probably 13, I think. 13 and to. then 22. 22. Mm -hmm. So the orders kept growing, and Tom kept replicating teams of, of illustrators and audio sure. editors. And there was a kid I had hired, um, Lauren Bouchard, who, uh, do you know his name mm -hmm. at all? He um, has the show Bob's Burgers. Oh, of course. And he, I taught him to edit and taught <laughs> him to be a businessman and taught him to... Well, he, I don't know if I taught him to write. Maybe he taught himself <laughs> to write. But That's so interesting. So he and John yeah. Benjamin have done three yeah. or four shows. And looking at that show, I mean, there's absolutely an echo of, yeah. of what you guys have done. That's fascinating. Although I will say, I think the huge flaw in that show, oh, apologies, Lauren, <laughs> but I just got to say, it's a mistake John and I made because we did a show with John Benjamin for DreamWorks mm -hmm. called Giving Harry the Business, where John Benjamin was the lead. Not the son, not the asshole, you know, not the ne'er-do-well, right. but the lead. And it was very hard to make the show funny because John Benjamin kept on having to be the guy going, all right, enough, you know, was toned sure. down. And he, he, was, he couldn't be just as bad as he wanted to be. And in Bob's Burgers, he's kind of the head of the family. And he has to tone things down, and that's not his... That's not his gift. Yeah, he's he doesn't get to be the snarky uh, yeah. comment, the asides. Yeah. 
So my advice, Lauren, is after uh, the, your next huge success. <laughs> uh, well, I'm certain listens to this, by the way. Yes. <laughs> well, I bet he does. Or someone will tell him Maybe. to because he's mentioned negatively <laughs> and positively. Um, he also gave look, me that bass guitar. He, d- <laughs> he did? Yeah. Seriously? Yep. Uh, let's talk about guitars for a minute. Okay. Uh, I was reading up on you uh, both, but I was reading up on you and guitars, uh, and there was a story about uh, the opportunity to do stand-up on television. Was it on Letterman? Oh, right. When they told you to lose the guitar. Yeah. Because <laughs> that was... That's that guitar there that had... It had a tape recorder built into it, so I never actually played it. I just hit the pause button and created the illusion of playing the guitar. Where is, when, so, so when you were uh, when you were starting out in stand-up, was did you use the guitar as a yeah, prop was, on stage? I did, and I, I was so it was so dependent on just yeah. holding on to it. Why is that? Well, I'm a, because I'm I was a musician before a comedian. Mm-hmm. I'm a guitarist. I was a good guitarist. And um, it was my blankie. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but um, uh, but they, they had actually come to see somebody else from San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And they stuck around and saw my set. And this guy, Bob Morton, said, if you lose a guitar, we'd love to have you on the show. <laughs> was that terrifying for you? Yeah. It was very um, but tell me a little bit about this writing that you did with Mehmet. I want to talk about that for just a sec before we jump back into the Comedy Central stuff. Um, were you, you guys knew each other from college, is yeah. that right? And, and we still work together. Mm-hmm. You know, if they call twice, it's got to be important. John, <laughs> no, if it's important, they'll call back. <laughs> but, but just, no, no, it's all right. Albion. Hello, may I speak to Mr. Jonathan Katz, please? This sounds important. What is this regarding... <laughs> Um, and and you you are you are not for profit. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, uh, no. Are you familiar with uh, John Katz? Uh, this is definitely we fight for LGBT rights. Love it. <laughs> um, are you Mr. Jonathan Katz? I am. You know, you're, you're catching me at a kind of both a bad time and a great time. <laughs> oh. Because you know, what's your name? Lisa, you're working in front of a live audience right now. There are more than 700 Lisa. people. Hello, everybody. Hello. 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 So how did you get into the business? <laughs> um, well, what kind of seminar is this? Let me uh, tailor my... Uh, I'm just kidding, my answer. Sure. Well, I'm sorry. You know, it's kind of cool to fade her out. <laughs> it's a nice effect. <laughs> Sorry, it's got till my water comes back. <laughs> hey, Lisa. You know, the many of the people who are here enjoying you have just started crying. Thank you. No way. And some of them don't feel good. So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do this at another time. Will you forgive me? But really, a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Sorry about that. <laughs> I think we nailed it. We're going to get a good plug-in for the, uh, but for the non-profit. I yeah. tell you, you do get a good sense there that if anything good is happening, 
ever with any actors, kids that happen to be in the booth or whatever. Absolutely. The rule is everybody shuts the fuck up and lets it happen because there's gold. We used to have to say at the beginning of a recording session, because everyone would come around uh, and, uh, and I'd read through the outline, and no one could say anything because it was just save it for the booth. Right. Hmm. Just don't say yeah. anything. Yeah. Hold it in. and uh, it's... Well, That's interesting. I'm actually curious about that as far as um, the the comedian pieces on Dr. Katz. Uh, can, how did those work? I mean, I imagine those because they're outside of the story. Yes. Uh, well, at first we tried to explicitly include them in mm-hmm. in the narrative. Um, and we would put John in the booth with a comedian. And it was to be a conversation between the two of them. And I think uh, Ray Romano was one of our earliest mm-hmm. And we realized that the conversations, especially when you're talking about therapy, even if they're comedians, things kind of tone down a little bit. They get a little depressing. Sure. (laughs) Well, it just got quiet, and it was... And so we realized, let's experiment. So Ray did one, and I think we did the same with Bill Broaddus early on. He did one thing with John, then said, we said, go back in just by yourself. And we have enough people here and who are hearing you so you can have an audience mm-hmm. uh, and do a set. Hmm. And we will retroscript your set into the thing. Uh-huh. And then we would And, and he was totally isolated, the comic. I mean, the, the laughter wouldn't go on mic. Mm-hmm. That, that's right. Sure. And then we could cut up uh, stuff and then do drops with John on a whole separate day mm-hmm. where John would say, well, tell me about your father who's trying to quit smoking. <laughs> And uh, and it, it, he would it was say, seamless. He, he would say, "My my dad's tried everything. He tried, um, he tried hypnosis. Hypnosis. He tried the th- the uh, patch. He tried what's the thing with the needles? Oh, heroin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. He loved it. He's like, we can't we can't get it away from him. Yeah. I'm curious about the the retroscripting on that though, because you don't want to step on the jokes, right? And you want to set up the jokes without just seeming to set up the jokes. How did you guys tackle that? Well, you basically follow the comedian's act because mm-hmm. generally there's a mini narrative sure. in the back of the act, and then we can cut it. It's amazing with digital audio editing. Uh, there wasn't much of it back then in in voice stuff, but you could cut, you know, the first half of one of the takes, you know, getting into the joke because everyone realized they were free enough in the booth to say. So, uh, you know, the other day, I, and they go, let me start that again. Hmm. So just this morning, I was... and yeah, It wasn't live stand-up. It wasn't live stand-up. They were aware that it was a voice recording. But they're trying to get a great performance. Right. But you could cut it up a little bit so that it fit into... And that's why we said retroscripting, because you're going back in and mining that for a mini-narrative that it may not exactly have, but it does by the time we're through with the questions John's And they're ask. kind of modular... The comedians, yeah, they they could, f- they might fit in one episode, but not in another. You might have two segments of one comedian in an episode. Yeah, and most of the comedians were just spectacular. We had some patently, not patent Oswald, <laughs> uh, <laughs> unfunny uh, ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, what what was the difference between a comic who worked and one who didn't in this format? The ones who didn't didn't air. <laughs> really? Did you do many recordings with ones that didn't air? 
we, you know, we did a couple. One I'm very sad that we didn't air because it was so fucking compelling. Hmm. It was a, a a duo, a comedy duo. One was a straight man, and the other was his lover, a, ma- a male, who was dying of AIDS. Oh In gosh. fact, and all the jokes were about their relationship. Um, and I remember one of them that was, uh, he said, we went out shopping for an urn today, and I held it up to him. I said, does this make me look big in the hips? <laughs> um, but oh it was, so it was very dark, but yeah. it's what they wanted to do and what he wanted to do. But one of the members of our team didn't want to put it in. Really? Internally. Interesting. And it was just at the point where you get, when you start taking on other people, you try to respect what other people want. Sure. <laughs> and which killed me. <laughs> <laughs> well, once you go to committee, it, it, there is the potential to become a more watered down product. Right? Well, and a better product, too. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I've been working in the machine too long. Yeah. Um, sorry, go ahead. But one, I was going to say, one of the people who barred is kind of a polite way of saying it. The template for Dr. Katz is Larry David for Curb Your Enthusiasm, mm-hmm. which essentially they do the same thing, but with video, work yeah. from an outline. And it's much harder because they're not doing, if they had 15 cameras, they could do what we can do, because right. you can always cut to an angle where someone isn't talking or, right. or whatever. But right. uh, just the pure audio, you have 100% rain because you get that whole thing working. And you give it to an animator and say, please. And Lindy Bazile, am I pronouncing your name right? Bazile. Bazile, um, who I love. I've known her all my life. I just don't know her name. <laughs> How often do we use last names? <laughs> yeah. Rarely. How important are they? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, she does a, a great job seeing it as quickly as she hears it. That's um, fantastic. Um, the, the tone of the show, uh, and, and this kind of gets to the question about, you know, cutting yourselves into it or retroscripting. Uh, it's so specific and again so clearly you guys um, what was the stuff that you were interested in as you know a youthful consumer of entertainments and comedy um, Bob and Ray mm-hmm. and um, who's the director and his uh, girlfriend um, from the 50s uh, Nichols and Nichols May, and May. yeah and I couldn't believe them. In the 50s, I lived in Wellesley. It was very white. Uh, there was a little girl in my class named Amy Feinberg. And I said to Dad, she's so cool. And Dad said, she's a Jew. And I said, what is that? And he said, we don't have them here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dad. But it's true. Uh, but Nichols and May and Bob and Ray were like from a different planet. Hmm. I could not believe that that kind of comedy even existed. And I'm sure you... And Woody oh. Allen, I guess. And for me, it was Lenny Bruce and Burns and Schreiber. I don't know if you know Jack know Burns, Burns and... and Burns and Schreiber were this great duo. Huh? I don't yeah, know how to do yeah, yeah. Uh, Cab. Taxi cab. Yep. Um, they just stepped all over each other's lines. <laughs> and it's the first time I heard people doing that. Hmm. And in fact... David Mamet and I once auditioned at a club in in New York doing their act and I had never been on stage and the lights went on and I couldn't speak. <laughs> Plus which it was their act. Right. Yeah. How did Mamet do? Uh, he apologized to everybody <laughs> and we left. Uh, were, were these conscious influences on each of you as you went about creating your own 
acts or works? I would say so hugely in both of their cases. Mm -hmm. We went on to do other shows, and I would give the the cast the complete recordings of Bob and Ray or the complete hmm. recordings of Nichols oh, and that's May. That's great. Um, because... Yeah, the Bob and Ray influence seems very strong. Yes. Uh, across all the stuff you've done. It, it is. And by the way, um, the third influence, who is in Explosion Bus and has been in almost everything I've done since Dr. Katz, um, I heard his radio show with Harry Shearer from the West Coast. Um, you know, he has a re- syndicated radio show. And he was interviewing an actor... Uh, excuse me, a writer, uh, Tom Leopold, who mm-hmm. plays Leo in Explosion Bus. Oh, sure. And it was, um, I played it for everybody on, on the cast of Dr. Katz at that point, and I said, this is the most extraordinary man because he's just the guy next door. He was playing a transsexual who had had the operation, Harry Shearer's, decided, no, he was a man, in a but terrible mistake, became a man. <laughs> then he realized... You know, come to think of it, I do feel like a woman. And a, so he had the operation again. Was a mistake. He knew it the second time. Became a man. And he was in the process during this interview of becoming a woman again. And, uh, but wasn't he in Beirut? He was in held? Beirut. Well, and it was during the, when, the hostage crisis where they'd let all the women go, but they didn't let him go. And, and Harry Shears said, well, why, why didn't they let you go? And he said, well, the surgery is, is not complete at this point. Um, we, we're not having work nuts. done. <laughs> but the way he explained, yes, we're having work done on the furnace. And uh, so, you know, cash is a little short. But it was just a very oh, so casual funny, yeah. guy next door. And we called him, and the three of us, John, Leo, and I, have been working very closely since around 97, I think. That's true. And he's, he was that, uh, the writer for Seinfeld and, mm-hmm. and going way back to... Cheers. 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 And he was a child actor who appeared on Gunsmoke. Yeah, we no, keep on seeing him in these yeah, afternoon so specials weird. as the angry teenager. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. yeah. By the way, angry teenagers in the late 60s, Sounded like this. All right, Mom, but I really don't have time. <laughs> and the father's, what are we going to do? Oh, so different than rap music. <laughs> um, let's, let's talk about Explosion Bus while we're here. Um, tell me about, well, I guess creating the show, first of all. We started to talk about that, but where did the show come from? What, what, is, what have you guys been doing you know, the past couple of years that has led up to this at the time was right to uh, reteam? 13 years ago, John and I started a movie called The Traveling Talent Show that was going to be an animated movie. And uh, we created the entire thing, and it was an hour and a half long, and we're, we were unable to sell it as a movie. <laughs> but, and it starred John and Leo, and a couple other people. Oh, it had some pretty good it folks. David Paymer, Bob Balaban. Bob Balaban, yeah. So very Fantastic. funny yeah. folks. And, um, but it, you know, it was pretty, I didn't realize, I'd never sold a movie and still haven't, and I don't know how to do it. No, features are miserable. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we kept on playing with it and playing with it, and uh, John had a, a manager, agent, advisor from L.A. who suggested... Uh, carving it up in in some different ways, and we were excited by that. And uh, we worked on it, and then, uh, and when I say we worked on it, and John, I I, I hope this comes out right. 
Wait, if, it's, if you think it's going to be unkind... Oh, good, no, go ahead. Okay. okay. <laughs> it means I basically worked around the clock for about six months <laughs> sure. on it. And, um, and jo- you know, and John and I, I would have... Then great... I did the next six months. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did the first, right? Yeah. Your part was done. But John the writing and I had... was done, the acting was done. We had talked a lot about it. And I was walking into Harvard Square one day on the phone with John, and he, we had just sent him out the audio of the... 10-minute demo, and he said, that's really great. You know what I think would be a better idea? (laughs) And I realized, I cannot fucking stand this. And then I called John right after we got, I got to where I was going, and I said, how'd you feel about his criticism? And he said, I I liked his new idea. (laughs) And I decided, I'm just going to take over Explosion Plus. (laughs) 100% mine. I will pay, pay for it, produce it, write it, but work collaboratively with John the way I always have mm-hmm. but make sure it's my show so that um, and I've kept agents away you know we're not showing it to TV, to TV networks or mm-hmm. uh, there's it's only the people in this room and, and our viewers you know on, on the web that yeah. um, and so then we started in earnest and I was able to work around the clock knowing in six months no one could say you know I have a better idea mm-hmm. and We've been and Katie, who had worked for uh, Katie Covet here to my left, who had worked for John as an assistant, um, uh, and a damn good one. <laughs> oh God, uh, I stole her away. <laughs> and Lindy also worked for me, didn't she? Uh, she did. I stole her too. Yeah. And Tim, uh, Tim worked for you. <laughs> you don't know yet. He's coming over. <laughs> you really made it your own. Yeah. Almost physically <laughs> taking everyone around him. Yeah. Hey, hey, Ben. I, I know you're a busy guy, and I wanted to reassure you about one thing that we will have time to do yes. before you leave. I know you won't wonder if you can sharpen a pencil. <laughs> we will make the time. I wondered if you had the pencils from my um, the pencil sharpener from my elementary school. No, doesn't that look like that's that's one of my favorite things that we own. Have you, have you ever used? Do you ever use it? Occasionally. <laughs> it, it seems to me. What are we talking about? It seems to no. me. Uh, for the the conception of Explosion Bus to have come thirteen years ago, is wild because it seems so of its time. Uh, I mean. Well, Which is right now. Yeah. Well, originally it was a traveling talent show, and Bob Balaban was the historian of it, talking about the fact that it dated back to the 1840s, which it didn't. It never existed. It was, <laughs> and that John and Leo were the last of a dying breed. This was the last one. And at the end of the movie, Bob Balaban's talking about the traveling talent show, and we're going to kids' homes, and it's really sweet and. I'd love some time to, you know, put that out as its own hour and a half uh, product. But at the end, Bob Balaban, um, I, I'm in this as an interviewer, and I'm saying to him as the historian, so now uh, the John and Leo's Traveling Talent Show, where does that fit into the grand scheme of the Traveling Talent Show? And he said, oh, it's it's basically an embarrassment to the entire tradition. <laughs> and, and, uh, <laughs> That is that's an amazing jumping off point for a yeah, series. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and that, that's what exactly. A total embarrassment. Yeah, and he said, he said uh, you know, people try not to even mention it because it's such a stain on the industry of the traveling talent show. Um, and have, the, I don't know, it strikes me that this kind of satire is not something that you guys have really tread before. 
you know, and, and not that it's a heavy-handed no. satire either. I mean, it's still so character-based. Uh, it's still about these weirdos uh, doing what they do. But, you know, is is this new territory for you? Does it feel like new territory, or isn't it? A... Well, the thing that feels new is the the fact that it's aimed so squarely at the Internet. Mm-hmm. And also the fact America's fascination with talent seems like the timing couldn't be better. Mm-hmm. I mean, and we, um, it's funny because the conceit really is that John and Leo are doing this because everyone else is so cruel about it. They are the worst talent auditioners ever. <laughs> if you listen to any of the auditions, mm-hmm. John is in one of the episodes interviewing, you know, a seven year old boy and he's trying to improve on his jokes for him. And, <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, they started with no money, no work ethic no skills and they're still going and they have none of those things but they've surrounded themselves as we have with these talented young people who are actually making and uh in our board meetings we have a hard time distinguishing between the explosion bus which is the name of our show and the explosion bus which is the name of our company (laughs) because we're both trying to do the same thing get something live on the internet so it is that show within a show but we're not making it explicit the way Larry Sanders or something made it explicit. Mm -hmm. This is a background, a backstage story. Well, it's interesting. I mean, that's what so many of us try to do as writers is tell our own story. I mean, there is autobiography in there, but, you know, I think what makes it art is the layer of metaphor on it. Uh, You guys have really done an amazing job on that. Thank you. One one thing I wanted to um, mention as an example was... uh, very early on, and I'm not sure who it was, but we were talking about how the internet would work with the show. And I think it was Leo. Oh, I know, we were feeding funny lines back and forth, and we mentioned the idea that Leo thought 8.30 would be a great time slot for us. <laughs> and, um, and so we built... That, but that was just in talking on the phone. So we built a whole scene where he suggests that, and the younger people on the bus say... See, that's not... (laughs) Having to explain. (laughs) Having to explain it. But that's, I think, one of our subtitles is the best time slot on the internet. That's uh, hilarious. Which we're still proud of. Uh, (laughs) How we got 8.30 on a Tuesday night, I have no That's the old Roseanne slot. That's really good. (laughs) What's our our lead-in? I forget. Uh, (laughs) Well, that's what you ask in the very episode. (laughs) You're not doing original material for this? I'm shocked. Yeah. <laughs> the the only thing I recycle are jokes. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, the neighborhood's John, a dump. <laughs> John John's uh, ability to do turns of phrase hmm. that, um, and also one of the interesting pieces of feedback John I got about you in the and I think Katie and I both got it very early on, is people love your voice. Uh, when you're being funny, but you you also seem like a really decent character, mm-hmm. and people were saying he's being so mean to Katie, <laughs> you know, in in the episode, and it it's breaking our heart because he's he's such a sweet guy, you know, and why, <laughs> you know who you know who doesn't like the sound of my voice, <laughs> honey, sweetie, <laughs> no, my it's not the, not that she doesn't like it, but my wife who's upstairs, can never stay awake for an entire episode of Dr. Cat. <laughs> <laughs> it's a soothing voice. Yeah. It's a very soothing yeah, voice. Yeah, that's true. 
Um, uh, I want to, before we run out of time, talk about a couple of other projects because Twitter was asking about them, and I'm curious. Um, the Bob Saget show that you did. The best part of that was staying at a hotel in, in California where uh, I would sit at the front desk every night, hold my calls, and list my wife or Bob Saget. <laughs> Um, oh, that was not, what, what was the name of the show? Raising Dead? Raising Dead, yeah. Um, and this was after Dr. Katz, is that right? Right. Uh, and were you approached about doing a sitcom? Or oh, pitching no, a sitcom? No, I wrote, I wrote a script called, I think it was called In Your Dreams, that was the working title. And I sent it to uh, a guy you should talk to named Norman Steinberg, who, among other things, worked on Blazing Saddles. I auditioned for a show he was doing called Doctor Doctor. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure, yeah. the Matt Frewer show. I remember that. And I didn't get the part, but he called me back, and he was so sweet. So I sent him the script, and he said, Jonathan, I don't know if you realize this, but this is a template for a series. And I said, cool. And then, well, What were you doing with it? Was it just something I, that had to come out of you? No, I think I think I had a... Yeah, I, went, I had a deal with DreamWorks, and then I had a deal with Paramount, all based on the... Uh, success of Dr. Katz and um, I think this was something I was writing for Paramount and we've gotten a couple great gigs from your oh, the overall deals you would right. get because mm-hmm. DreamWorks they gave you an overall deal and they led us to giving Harry right. and then Touchstone gave you oh. an overall deal and we did the thing with Lisa Kudrow right. um, I don't know if that studio system is still working or if it's broken down with writers. And it seems to be working. Oh. <laughs> Good. With these kind of deals, yeah. Uh, so so he took this script out for you or with you? Well, I think I ended up making that deal with Warner Brothers uh, with a, a woman named Kate Jergens who bought the show. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I realized that I had no idea how to run a show. <laughs> I was totally unqualified. Oh, they were looking at you to do to be I, the showrunner. Yeah, I was the showrunner. I was the executive producer. I got the list of people, about two hundred people involved, and I realized my name was at the top. And, I did, <laughs> and that was the first day I realized I had this job. I had nothing. No. Sure, which is often the case. I mean, they'll yeah. take a script they like and say, "Great, you're in charge." And managing people is sort of outside a writer's. And performers' skill set. So, Although you had done a bit of that with so, uh, Dr. Katz. Right. But I hired a bunch of writers, and we would get together in the writers' room, and every time they would talk about an idea for an episode, I would start to giggle. <laughs> and I had to excuse myself, because I thought it was the silliest way to go about creating comedy, was hmm. to have a blackboard with an arc, and what happens in the season, what happens in the series. And... Then I hired Norman Steinberg, who knew exactly how to do it. Mm-hmm. And that th- that method probably didn't change, I would imagine. It's just the person in charge wasn't right. laughing at everyone. Right, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and I uh, hired B.J. Novak, who was an yeah. unknown at the time. Yeah, I remember I was, was leaving L.A. Writer. at the time, and I knew B.J. from high school. Oh, did you? And, oh, you uh, went to New South, South, that's right. Yeah. I uh, ran into him. He said, I just got this job on this Saget show that Jonathan right. Katz created. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't be leaving L.A. That sounds amazing. <laughs> uh, how was the experience for you overall, then? Confusing. 
Why? Well, first of all, I was I was um, it was a very much too physical a job for me. I had mm. just been diagnosed with MS. Mm-hmm. I'm holding for a laugh. <laughs> um, Wild applause. Yeah. And uh, I thought you were holding for a phone call. <laughs> and uh, the writers' room. It was summertime, but people would show up wearing fleece coats because I kept the temperature so low oh, in there. Because people with MS are very susceptible to the heat, which is only one of the reasons I'm not a firefighter. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, but the, you know, I, it was exciting to be in charge of such a large machine. Mm-hmm. And when I when I was listening to some of your podcasts, people would describe this as a train already yeah. in motion, a TV show. And that's why none of my uh, nautical references worked. (laughs) (laughs) That's not our audience. No. (laughs) Real train enthusiasts. (laughs) Crank it up to 12 knots. (laughs) Meaningless. Meaningless. No, it's pretty Uh, amazing that one one team is writing a scene, another team is writing an an episode. It's just a a huge undertaking, and I was totally... Not the guy for the job. Even it must have if, been fascinating to you, though. I mean, yeah. you're a smart and curious guy. And also, it was ridiculous. TV money is sort yeah. of obscene. Yeah. <laughs> and, and obscene everything. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, did you feel that the show had your voice? For a while. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then every week, I mean, it was a barrage of notes from people who, some of whom I kind of respected and others... I think would just say things like, uh, let me run it up the flagpole. You know, people are so afraid of losing their jobs, which is kind of what a big hunk of Hollywood is all about. I remember a line you wrote for the show that they wanted to pull. And I laughed so hard at it. We were on the phone. And you tell me if it stayed in, but Bob Saget was apologizing to his daughter, his 14-year-old daughter, and he went into her, and it's, it seems like such an obvious line, but he said, sweetheart, your father is a man who tries as hard as he can, and he should be here any minute now. <laughs> and they wanted to pull it out, because yeah. they saw it as obvious, but it was such a beauty, and... I that felt actually, like they should have listened said, to you for every joke <laughs> in, in the show. This, that that one actually survived the pilot. What didn't survive the pilot was this woman I hired, whose name is Liz Coe, who's a wonderful writer, and she couldn't. They couldn't handle the men in the room. Couldn't handle her emotionalism. Really? Because women feel things. <laughs> But she was she really a superb writer, and then you know what? <laughs> oh, no, that's the house. Oh, a couple more questions about this uh, show. Were there arguments about tone on uh, Raising Dad? <laughs> I'll let you make one phone call. Hung up. <laughs> there we go. Um, um, Arguments about tone on the show. I mean, because it was much more of a standard sitcom. It was a network sitcom. Well, and it Bob, was a multi-tone, too. Yeah, Bob Saget wanted, has always wanted to lose 
his full house identity. Mm-hmm. I mean, not the residuals, but the identity. <laughs> and he's tried very hard and succeeded in some ways. I, I, was, I was talking to somebody. He is the narrator on the show called um, How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. yeah, and he's very convincing. He's he's very mm-hmm. well cast in that. Well, he's been great on Curb Your Enthusiasm. I think yeah. people sort of know him from his yeah, stand-up he's a, now. He's a very funny guy. Yeah. He's a very sweet guy. And very dirty guy. Yeah. Really dirty. And that's part of what he had to get <laughs> yeah. established. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, I mean, that clearly probably wasn't allowed on the show either. No, but the two, the, the show had two characters who played his daughters. One is the actress Kat Dennings, who's now mm-hmm. a star in her own right, out to here. And um, <laughs> Brie Larson. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Brie Larson, who was wonderful it's on a true, show right? called the, the U.S. of Tara, mm-hmm. and she went from saying things like um, doing a show with Bob Saget to saying things like talking about anal sex with her mother <laughs> on the U.S. of Tara. Right. And um, I'm not saying that those. Are, I'm just saying that it was it was a very. The, so your question to me was was the tone of the show. <laughs> Well, it was very different from Dr. Katz, obviously, which yeah. is what people knew you from going into right. that. And um, <clears throat> thank you. Oh, and I tried doing, I tried to do, you know, they have somebody open for the show when you shoot in front of oh, the show. Oh, sure, yeah. I up. bombed. <laughs> in front of the show I had created, people hated me. Well, they won? You were the warm-up guy? I, one, one night I asked if I could be the warm-up guy, and I, they hated me. That's a real skill, being a warm-up guy. Oh, Sure. Uh, and, and they want, you know, big laughs. They they don't want a sort of dryness or any kind of smart uh, kind of joke before a network sitcom, it right. seems to me. Right. Uh, how did the show end? Cancelled. It was cancelled. After 22 episodes. That's a, that's a good season. Yeah. Uh, was it? Were you sorry to see it go? Do you think it could have gone places? I think if it had, if it had been another guy in my... Job it could have, um, um, or if um, you know, if it had been another actor, mm-hmm. other than Bob Saget, who well, he had a lot of baggage, right, yeah. with the Full House stuff. Right. This was a different right. kind of show. Right. Uh, interesting. Uh, let's talk about home movies for a moment, shall we? Sure. Um, when when did this happen in in relation to Doctor Katz and and some of the other projects that you worked on? Uh, toward the end of Dr. Katz, okay. uh, which I think was six or seven seasons, including the first season, which was just bumpers mm-hmm. or tweener. Um, Lauren Bouchard, who was this kid uh, mm-hmm. who had worked with me, uh, it was time for him to create his own show. And uh, so we tossed around some ideas, but basically I was saying to him, create your own. And your first trick has to be to go out and get a comedy crush on somebody <laughs> because oh, and and know that you're not the funny guy and uh, I had done it and uh, um, so he went to comedy clubs and he went to uh, Brendan Small mm-hmm. um, who was the lead kid in home movies uh, was a comedian in a club and they became attached at the hip um, <laughs> I don't think they still are. I think things 
blew apart because it's tough during a show with Certainly. writing and producing and but uh, they were very close and it was their shared vision um, and I stayed out of the way as much as possible. Oh really? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, which is a smart producer. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell me about some of the other things that you did around that time because you sort of had a hand in a lot of these both animation and some non-animated shows too, yeah, right? Well, we, we did a show for uh, Saturday morning. Well, we did this pilot for DreamWorks uh, starring John Benjamin and we walked uh, I think we're probably one of the few animation companies ever walked away from Katzenberg. Really? Where he, we took a trip out there and he said, now, we'd like to have more people at your site in, Wa in Cambridge. And I said, no, I don't want more. Because we had two guys there during the production of the show who were junior execs and they played ping pong all day long and <laughs> and we had to tell them to be quiet during recordings and it was just like babysitting and, I, I, and then he also wanted control of our budget and we were about less than a tenth of the budget of any other animated show mm. and I said no, we'll tell you how much it's going to cost, and then we'll control our own budget. And it will Is that be... how things worked on Dr. Katz also? Yes. I would imagine that was a big part of why they left you alone. Yes. Is, you know, you had probably a smaller budget and were able to control we it. We had a system that where we could create stuff extremely cheaply. Yeah. We wanted to create stuff cheaply, and they like DreamWorks liked it. You know, Steven Spielberg was a real fan of, the sh of Dr. Katz, <laughs> and that's how we got this show. And John and I were in a, a car going to DreamWorks when we were going to pitch that first show. Oh my to Katzenberg and, and Steven Spie Spielberg. <laughs> well, it, it was very funny because uh, on the way, we decided the first scene should be the second scene. And we had a little piece of audio gear that allowed us to edit the audio, the digital audio, right in the car. <laughs> and uh, we're thinking, is this wise, you know, right now? Because we might be destroying the whole thing. But we made that edit and we had... And it, was, it went great, and they, they loved it, and they picked up the show. Uh, uh, John did prove uh, scientifically that Steven Spielberg does not actually have a sense of humor. <laughs> um, technically, uh, I Haven't think... Haven't you seen Munich? <laughs> well, I, we didn't use Stephen Wright's line. <laughs> no, I said, I said to him that we do all the, um, all the animation in Massachusetts... We do the voices in Korea. And he said, we do a lot of work there as well. <laughs> no. But also, if I might, and you can edit this out, but John said that he had just seen Amistad, right. the slave ships. Sure. And, Hilarious. And, Spiel <laughs> and Mr. Spielberg said, what'd you think? And John said, you know, I was very, very impressed with the balance of that show because I walked out of there thinking... You know, slavery's not for everyone. <laughs> and uh, and I think Steve went, well, thank you. you know, that, is, that is so true. Uh, so we did that. But then when we walked uh, uh, from that, uh, we came back. We had a full staff of people that were ready to animate. Sure. But I didn't want to work definitely with those guys. And so... We came up with a concept overnight of, for a kids' TV called Science Court, mm -hmm. which starred uh, Paula nice. Poundstone yeah. and John Benjamin, of course, mm -hmm. and Laura Silverman, and you know, did I say that right? Not Sarah, Laura, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
And that was on for four seasons. Mm -hmm. And Bill Broaddus. And Bill Broaddus right. was a co-writer mm -hmm. on that show. And then we did our first uh, live-action show where Adam Mutterpearl... This is a really interesting oh. fact. Oh, my God. I forget what the connection is. Well, oh. so John and I used to love to talk about Adam Mutterpearl because it was such a fun name to say. And so if we couldn't think of somebody, he'd say, guess who I just talked to? I'd go, Adam Mutterpearl. <laughs> But he, he he was just starting out with us, and we did a live-action show where we had 16 cameras uh, pointing, and everyone was wearing a hidden microphone mm -hmm. so that I could cut it up and direct it just the way I did Dr. Katz. And it was about five people who were living deep underground, uh, four miles underground in Utah, that were an elite force that had not been uh, called on since the 60s, but they were still living there. And there's a red phone, you know, there. And the first episode was about how they decided to start a book club. But uh, also, when they finally do get a call, Leo says, you know what, it's important to call back. <laughs> That's right. And, uh, but, oh, I forgot. Anyway, oh, uh, about Adam Mutterpearl. Yeah. So I was reading about this woman that Rush Limbaugh had called a slut. Do you know, you know uh, the famous mm -hmm. woman who was a student and I think an aide in Washington? Mm -hmm. And it said she and her husband, Adam Mutterpearl, <laughs> so I'm so happy for him that um, he finally found a slut. Uh, <laughs> why, why the decision to do this one live action? I mean, it sounds like it would have lent itself well, to an and the same style. It, why did we want to do that? Yeah. Because it was so funny to see John in a jumpsuit because everybody had to wear a jumpsuit and the backgrounds were all animated mm -hmm. and so the backgrounds were weaponry that you just couldn't believe that they're always ready for and uh and leo tom leopold who's also an explosion bus came in one night and the scene is just a cot and john is in his room and it's got so much uh attack gear and and uh what did Leo say to you? He said, are you afraid about tomorrow? And you said, well, yeah, I'm a little frightened. He, and he said, well, you wouldn't be human if you weren't frightened. And he said, what's your biggest fear? And he said, well, I guess it's what to serve, because it was their first book group. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and Leo says, you know, follow what's in the, you know, the, in the cappy. cappy. Not the ticker or something like that. And uh, he says, have I been any help? And you said to him, oh, I just remember these lines so well because you're improv. You said, you know, if you hadn't come in here, I would have just been another guy on a cot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so ABC loved it. And they were going to do it. And then the deal fell through. Oh, jeez. So what happened with it? Well, uh, Just went in the vault? It, it's in the vault, yeah. and if you ask John Benjamin and a lot of these guys... <laughs> it's available on Jonathan's website. Oh, is it? Yeah. yeah. All right, good. It's, it's called cool. Alpha Force. So you, I don't think you said oh, the name of it is Alpha Force. And, but, yeah. you know, Ben, what we haven't talked about is, the, is Tom's musicality. Because, mm -hmm. you know, in addition to being a writer and a creator of things, and a guy who likes to make things, he's also a really accomplished musician... And yeah, uh, I saw that you had scored a bunch of these. Uh, well, projects. Dr. Katz, and that was 
basically just margaritas uh, fueling that because we had the band and we just started playing. But giving her the business, Tom wrote this amazing theme song performed by Jonathan Brooke. I don't know if you know. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, that was. She did a great job on that. That's fantastic. That's the nice thing about having your own little company where you can do everything if you want to, and then. I decide all the time I'm not the right guy to do the music when, because I have a sensibility for, I kind of like the soft rock era. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe not for everything. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But that's amazing, and it seems like it's, you know, this sort of model that we're all sort of coming back around to, where you give the creators maybe a smaller budget, but a lot more control, and you get this sort of auteur TV, which you guys are doing online now. Tell people where they can find Explosion Bus. They can find Explosion Bus on explosionbus.com. And it, we ha- our time slot is 8.30. Uh, <laughs> Got it. Set your TVOs. Eastern. <laughs> Eastern Standard Time. And it is a pretty standard time, you have to say. <laughs> of all the time. Yeah. Um, what can we look forward to in this, this new season? Uh, brand new animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, an, I guess, an updated, more TV friendly is how I've heard what it described. What does that mean? Well, that means cleaner. Okay. Uh, I don't mean um, in terms of blue comedy, but I mean just cleaner lines. Mm-hmm. I thought the animation style was really interesting, and and it's it it so works for the show, and it's clearly an again an echo of Squiggle Vision. Yes. You know, it's and there these are small be, moments. There'll be people who will say, "Oh, we love the old stuff," but I sure. think they'll grow to. Uh, love the new stuff. Oh, it's so easy to watch. It, you know, Good. I mean, and, and obviously the story takes you right along. Yeah. Um, and then tell me about the submissions that people can make. What What is that all about? I don't... It was so jarring the first time it came out. I was like, who is this live-action person? Yes. Well, well, oh, this is hilarious. Be, we, we've decided to make that... make it clear to people... Even though even though they're watching YouTube auditions, they're going to be watching it through the filter of John and Leo mm-hmm. looking on a bus. On a bus, mm-hmm. watching it in animated. Well, they'll be live, but they're looking at because the whole point is these are the submissions that are coming into John and Leo on the bus. We shouldn't have called everyone by their real name because it gets really <laughs> no, hard. It's to much explain. easier. But um, and so we're getting more and more people from around the country and world. Sending in that's great submissions, and um, if you have a parent, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and why shouldn't you? <laughs> I might, I might have one or two. Yeah, and uh, who, any talent at all, uh, we'd love to get a submission. <laughs> you hear that, America? <laughs> He's talking to you. Yeah, not hey, to you know, me. There's another great writer I worked with who I just want to mention. This. A guy named Jeffrey Hens, who I met on a talk show in Toronto many years ago, and he is was a boy wonder. He had just sold a show to Disney, 16 years old. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm mentioning that because he's really talented and a great guy. Also, well, John owes him a little money, and <laughs> so we're putting him out there. <laughs> no, we wrote a movie together called The Great Canadian Ape, which somebody should make one day. <laughs> what have you guys had any luck in features? Do you even have that desire? I got paid to write a feature, mm-hmm. and and then paid to rewrite it, <laughs> but it never got made. Well, it seems like that's the case with so many. We took the Traveling Talent Show sure. out 
to the producer of you know, Chris Guest. Producer. Oh, right, mm-hmm. to Castle Rock. What What was her mm-hmm. name, um, Carolyn? I can't think of her name, but but and she said, "Boy, this would be great," and we were excited. But we then couldn't come up with the money mm-hmm. for the animation because animation costs more than a live action yeah. movie. If because you can get actors to do a, a lot of stuff for almost nothing, yeah. you can get camera people to do stuff for almost nothing. But animators, you have to pay a lot of money Absolutely. to. Absolutely. Animators and editors. Yeah. That's what it costs. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you guys so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Uh, Explosion Bus is great. I can't wait for thank the new so season. Um, and congratulations on all the success. Thanks. Hey, do you have time to take one question from the audience? <laughs> we have time to take as many as you like. Do you guys want to ask Any, questions? Anyone have a question? I forgot we, we usually have an audience at the live yeah. ones. I don't usually have an audience when I'm in the studio. No, we're not. While you think, I had actually wanted to ask about your teaching. Okay. Um, what, you've been teaching at Brandeis? Well, I taught one semester a course called Short Form Comedy, mm-hmm. and people were asked to make something no longer than five minutes, and um, they could do it, they could stage it, they could mm-hmm. film it, they could just do audio, and uh, it was great. I was really, um, met some wonderfully talented students. Sure. Uh, how did you how did you go about instructing them on this short form comedy? Well, I'm first, curious what your curriculum looked like. First, you put your two knees way up tight. <laughs> you move them to the left. Oh, it's a. Uh, you tried, have students right here. You can. Have. Yeah, I, well, I'm, I may have to. Well, I tried not to just show off because I could do that every week, sure. and then I realized the class was three hours long, <laughs> so I should have guests. Absolutely. And then we I, we had Sarah Silverman via Skype, Mark Marin, John Benjamin, B J Novak, Tom Center came in person. A guy. That's a cat. A guy named Amir Golan, who's a wonderful comedian. Oh sure. Yeah, yeah. Came in total class. And did they just talk to you guys about comedy, or was it about you know how how? How broken down did they get? Did they talk about structure? Did they talk about jokes? It, it was kind of like a, a comedy. Come over to a microphone. Okay. <laughs> Here. It was just sort Singer. of like, uh, I'm Emma. <laughs> um, it was sort of like a comedy education. Like, people would come, Jonathan would just sort of show us what he likes, com- comedians that he's liked, uh, that we had mostly never heard of. Um, I never heard of Dom Irera before. <laughs> Your class. So sad. But now I'm a big fan. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so, so did you guys learn? What did you learn from these things? Were you able to produce your own things? And, and yeah, tell me about that a little bit. We did some stuff together. Yeah, we did. Yeah. <laughs> so like that assignment that he gave us, where he 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 basically assigned. Are you talking about the first one? Yeah. He just spent the entire class making up different scenarios in which three people interact so like a therapy set like a marriage counseling session ours was or a ours was a deposition deposition uh, yeah and then just we just went at it like <laughs> media wise yeah, however we filmed a deposition we had no idea what a deposition was supposed <laughs> to be have never been involved in one <laughs> hope to never be involved in one yeah there, it was so really, but it was funny. It was really funny, though. Sure. And and um, Hannah Wellish, who's the other voice you're hearing on mic, she said she was inspired by the movies. She she blocked it, inspired by the movies of Wes Anderson. Oh. 
And I thought she's, and I thought she said Wes Craven. Like, get it. Yeah, it it really it was weird because it everyone didn't you didn't know it was a deposition because of the the way it was filmed. So I I came out of the class thinking that we did something wrong. Oh, <laughs> and we did. Apparently, but then I don't know. We also didn't know what it was, so. so mean, how could we have known? Even after you finished uh, producing this little segment, you didn't know what a deposition was. We just didn't know the form, like the the. Uh, right, the we, structure. We wanted to, I see. We wanted to do the it our way. We didn't yeah. want to know what a. Our way or the highway. They didn't want to be so. influenced by the truth. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one thing I never got to properly thank you for is uh, giving us all A pluses. Yeah. Oh yeah, give everybody an A plus except. Wait, no, some kids got an A. Ooh. No, no, wow. not That's everybody harsh. got an A plus. Yeah. Oh yeah, wait, no one. I don't think you can get an A plus. I got an A plus. Oh. Yeah, you, nice you two got an A plus. Oh. Paul and Ethan. Diego was mad he didn't get an A plus. <laughs> well, we but it, it was come. a nice little GPA booster. So, so what do you guys do with your knowledge now? What are your goals? Well, Emma learned how to edit. Yeah, That's I great. did. Han yeah. Hannah taught me how to edit. That's right. Um, learned how to Skype with celebrities. <laughs> <laughs> that will come in handy. Yeah. Um, but it was, yeah, it was the highlight of my week by far, that <laughs> class. I loved every minute of it. That's a great time. Will you do it again? No. <laughs> Norman Stanberg. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thanks. Okay. That's Thank good. you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, final meeting. Now, uh, that was great. You want to do the real thing? Now leaving Nerdist.com.